Hey, ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. I'm your host, Jared Weich, episode 241. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dominic Orlando. It's April. Uh, I'm not going to be participating in, in this April Fool's nonsense. I find it not amusing. That's my, my thought for the day. Yeah, I think we're getting old because I feel the same way. I'm like way more jaded for April Fool's than I ever have been. And I think yeah. partially it's because as a kid, I was looking for like the comedy and things. So like if there was a goof, that was more important than it being a fake news story or a fake reveal of something. Whereas Thank now that I've gotten you. older, Thank you. I look forward to like actual announcements or reveals, especially with us doing the podcast. I like looking to the news. So it's just like, I have to wait through what's real, what isn't, you know what I mean? Uh, especially in the line of content creators, some people do it really well, and some people just feel like they need to do it, and it doesn't come out so well. So, yeah, April Fool's is definitely one of those, obviously it's not technically a holiday, but it's one of those things that I could take it or leave it. I wouldn't really be bothered with it at all. Um, I wish but it yeah, was when it's done right, it's good, but yeah. I think with I, IGN has a, a pretty good track record of doing some really cool stuff for April Fool's. Hasn't really been that way for a couple of years, but like in the early to mid uh, 2010s, they were killing it with a lot of their fake video game trailers for live action stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. April Fool's, it's all right, but we're going to be these old men sitting on the stoop and wagging our finger at these kids. Get off so our lawn. It is lawn. what it is. <laughs> yeah, get off our lawn. Uh we got some uh, really cool news, got some bummer news, and we got some man news. We got a nice mix of everything. Some ups, some downs, and some whelms, I guess. Uh, so first up, there was this really cool uh, viral video that came out of uh, this channel over at YouTube called 64Bits. They have a history of like demaking games and kind of doing them in retro styles. And they took Mass Effect and... They made a box art for it too called Advance Effect. And basically it's Mass Effect in the style of Advance Wars on the GBA. And I thought it looked incredible. And it's one of those things where sometimes you see concepts and you're like, oh, this is neat. Uh, kind of like the demake of Bloodborne, right? Where it was a PS1 yeah. version of Bloodborne, which is cool. The problem for me with that is that it's cool aesthetically, but I don't know if I'd actually want to play a From Software game on a PS1, right? That doesn't no seem like the optimal experience. But yeah. this, on the other hand, changes the gameplay and shows you that they can deliver the same narrative. Uh, and it, it looks cool. It looks like something I'd want to play. It doesn't seem like it'd take away from the original Mass Effect trilogy because it's not trying to be the same thing in terms of like a, you know, a, a project that demakes something that already exists. I thought it looked really cool. Obviously, I'm a huge Mass Effect fan. You checked it out right before we started recording. What did you think of it? Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. Like, not only is the novelty of it cool, and and it looks great, but I could theoretically see myself, yeah, like playing this. You're not like you're not losing, you know, much in the way of valuable gameplay elements. I mean, it's a different. It would be a different type of gameplay, but it still like could pass as a style today. Whereas, yeah, no one is going back and wanting to play a 3D action RPG like Bloodborne with a, you know, like a D-pad and in those clunky PS1 graphics. Like, that's a cool novelty, but you wouldn't actually want to play it. That'd be going backwards the worst kind of way. You know, we, we often, when I talk about Pokemon, I talk about how, like, 
Soul Silver and Heart Gold are some of my favorite games. But just before when we were talking about this, you were saying like that GBA GBA arrow is so cool. We talked about how like the pixels are crisp and the gameplay is mm -hmm. so good, and it's still 2D, but it's advanced enough that it feels more modern than like the classic GBA or even NES or SNES games to us. Anyways, obviously we're from a different generation, but I think for me, you know, the, that classic Pokemon setup, not necessarily maybe the difficulty or the lack of strong narrative, think more of like the final fantasy realm in terms of the way those RPGs are set up. I think we have a niche here that isn't being filled where I was thinking about this when you were talking about your interpretations of this remake, and even like a Dragon Age would be cool in uh, the GBA oh, yeah. style, um, or that Pokemon RPG style, like I said, with Fire, Leaf, and Re uh, Fire, Red, and Leaf Green on the GBA. I think that's a, a really cool thing, and it'd be dope. This would probably never happen unless it's like an indie studio, but if Bioware put together a small team that basically made games in the world of Dragon Age or Mass Effect, and maybe they're not tied to the main story, but in this style, I think that'd be really cool, and it offers something different, and I guess the, the thing, the closest thing to this that we're going to be getting soon is probably Sea of Stars, right? That RPG that everyone's waiting for from the developers of The Messenger, um, so I can't wait for that, and uh, yeah, it, it was a really cool thing that came up. If you want to check out the full video, it's on Twitter. If you just search up Mass Effect Demake, it'll come up. But also on YouTube, the channel is 64 bits. They have a, a purple avatar image. And uh, yeah, really cool video. Definitely a recommend to check it out. Um, one of those videos that I saved that I'm going to go back and look at every so often. I'm just it's so cool. A dream that will probably never be uh, reality. But a dream that did become reality is that, you know, Heart Machine developed this game called Hyper Light Drifter. People absolutely loved it. It was a 2D action role-playing game. Originally released in 2016. It's a game I still haven't gotten to yet. I always get Hyper Light Drifter mixed up with uh, what's the 2D roguelike that has kind of the same color aesthetic? Dead Cells. You know, Dead Cells. I always get these those two confused because aesthetically they are very similar with their marketing images. It's like the orange and the neon colors. So I kind of get them. Obviously with Hyper Light Drifter, it's more purple and light blue. But anyways, they have announced a sequel, not sequel, called Hyper Light Breaker. Uh, which is dope, so it might be just be a sequel in name alone, because um, they haven't clarified if it actually is a sequel to the original game in terms of narrative, but what we do know is that it's coming in 2023, it's a massive fully 3D world with online co-op, so they're switching from 2D to 3D, uh, there was some short alpha gameplay shown and also a lot of concept art, um, as somebody who's not familiar with Hyperlight Drifter, I really have nothing else to say except it looks dope, and the switch from 2D to 3D is always exciting in franchises. Um, you seem to have a little bit of a, a touchstone with Hyperlight Drifter, Dom. What do you expect from this sequel? What do you want from the sequel? What, what's going on there? So I only saw the announcement trailer, and it was just a okay. short cinematic. I didn't know that there was also alpha gameplay um, out there, and I also didn't know that it was going to be 3D. And so this is that's surprising. And so I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous about that. I absolutely adored the first game, Hyperlight Drifter, which was, yeah, like a top-down uh, 2D kind of thing. But I really want to quickly this... interject. Remember, this isn't going to be the studio's first 3D game because they did Solar Ash, right? So they did Hyperlight Drifter, then they did Solar Ash, which was kind of, in my opinion, it seems like the experiment for this, right, to jump into this. But sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to mention that too because I watched, you know, read some reviews for Solar Ash and watched the gameplay and it 
it just seemed like i don't know like you said like they were just trying something out maybe proof of concept for a 3d game that was that might be really insulting i don't know but that's kind of what it my impression was so i kind of skipped over it but seeing that a more proper sequel for drifter is coming out um again still a tad nervous that we're moving to 3d but equally excited about what that could look like too the probably the highest point in the first game other than the combat was you know you have a good dash button it's pretty difficult but the highest point was the music and and the art style too you could tell by looking at it but it was mostly the music was super cool like and there's a lot of games that do the kind of synth-esque music but this i don't know how to describe it you should kind of just check it out yourself but the music in the first game was just so good and so creative and cool i i'm really excited so no matter what i don't think they'll be able to screw that up even if the 3d elements of this sequel aren't great um, i'm really excited to see more you know i guess see that art style translated into 3d and then more of that music which i guess i can just look up that alpha gameplay right now and get a better idea so the the cinematic trailer was really cool um as well and uh they didn't have a release date, but I think it said spring next year, right? From what I saw, it just said 2023, but it could have been more specific and been spring. Uh, okay. Spring 2023 is a date uh, attached to something we'll talk about later. Uh, but in terms of for Hyperlight Breaker, I don't know. Maybe it is. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I only had the year, and then you saw something that was more specific. So maybe that's the case. Um, the, the, with the it, you know Solar Ash being an experiment, obviously maybe that wasn't the sole intention, but... There's no doubt that they saw all of the feedback for that game, the constructive criticism, and they probably are implementing it in this. And, you know, it's hard for me to detach the idea that they do Hyperlight Drifter, then they do a, a 3D uh, game that's very much in the same realm as Hyperlight Drifter, but moved to 3D, and then they do a sequel, not sequel to Hyperlight Drifter, and Solar Ash wasn't purposefully put in the middle of those two things you know what i mean because you see the natural progression there of the development so we'll see what happens hopefully they learn shout out to andy cortez of kind of funny uh seems like the world's number one hyper light drifter fan um guy can't get enough next up some big news uh that we kind of maybe saw coming e3 uh is canceled and summer game fest lives this is a story in four parts and you'll understand why i wrote it like that number one the ESA announced that E3 Digital 2022 was officially canceled, clarifying that they hope to make E3 2023 the best physical slash digital event it can be. We'll touch on that later. Number two, Jeff Grubb then tweets, the vibe check I was getting is that everyone is going with Keeley instead because he's actually competent. If you've been following the ESA at any point in the last couple of years, it's been very clear that they don't know what they're doing and they have a tough time with E3 in general and it's kind of all culminated to all of this stuff. So. Jeff Grubb saying that everyone kind of chose Keeley over them is kind of rough uh, for E3, and it's going to be interesting to see how his event stacks up this year and is different from what we had last year. Uh, number three, Jeff Keeley then tweets after the ESA announced that it's being delayed. He just tweeted out a winking emoji, just like, ah, I see what happened there. ESA, you suck, because there's also a very known and public beef between the ESA and Jeff Keeley, and it's kind of how he separated himself from them and split off and started doing his own thing. Um, and if there's anybody who kind of gets what people want to see in a video game show, it's Jeff Keighley. Obviously, look at the Game Awards, Opening Night Live, all that stuff. And then lastly, 
Uh, Jeff Keighley then tweeted, Excited to share that Summer Games Fest will return this June with a slate of events. We'll be producing another kickoff live show with announcements, news, and first looks. Much more to share in the coming weeks, along with some very cool new elements for 2022. So the thing I wanted to touch on uh, first is, do you honestly think there's a reality in which E3 returns next year at all, let alone a physical event? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, I think it will, for sure. The scale of it, or the scope of it, you know, it's going to be smaller. Certainly, I don't know if it's ever going to be what it was before, right? But I think there's enough room for a lot of different events. And even if, you know, Summer Game Fest or whatever Keeley wants to do and call it ends up kind of maybe being the primary replacement of what we used to know as E3, like that big kind of core summer, you know, week of announcements and trailers and all that kind of stuff i still think there's room for e3 to exist even if it's at a much smaller scope and maybe it's not at the same exact time also too it might be part of it but and maybe that's that's how it is for a couple years until it entirely fizzles out but i just feel like we have there's still several other conferences throughout the year that i still think there's enough enough money and um there's enough attention span from all of us to you know, be in- interested enough in some amount of E3 at some point in the year. But it seems like its primary uh, place as kind of the big summer reveal event is, is uh, that might be going away forever. Well, and the big thing here is that it's, it's been kind of told that e- the SA has a financial issue in terms of supporting E3 moving forward. And with the event not happening as it once did, it's kind of those uh, the money in the in the in the bank or in the safe is kind of getting kind of low. So financially, I don't even know if it can happen next year, regardless of if they want to or not. To your point, I do agree that there is this massive hole that can be kind of filled, and I do think that something will be there next year. But I don't know if it'll be the ESA's lead event. I could totally see Jeff Keighley renting out that same out. What is it? The LA Coliseum or Staples Center or wherever it's held. Yeah. And okay. him kind of moving forward with it. Now that he, from Jeff Grubbs tweet, a lot of these companies picked Keighley over the ESA next year. If he pitches them on a physical event where he's going to be leading it, if you're that company and you already trust Keighley on the digital front, why wouldn't you trust him on the physical front, especially with the success he sees year over year with the game awards? On top of the fact that this may not be something super interesting to us or gamers in general, but Keeley's really good at selling a product to advertisers, which in turn is really good for other companies as well. So the fact that he has that kind of part of it down is really good because then there's a financial security there for these companies that maybe the ESA has never really had. Um, and to your point, I do agree that, especially next year, as we're moving farther from COVID, though, people, COVID still exists, so don't. Don't forget about it. I know we live in a world where people are seeming to act like it doesn't exist anymore. By next year, we might be in a safer place in terms of people wanting to go out and do stuff. And that would be a really good money-making opportunity from those companies as well, wanting to have a place where people can gather again. So I'm with you. I do think we will return to having that big, physical, bombastic event in terms of these presentations. They may not all be connected, like you said, and it may not be the ESA. That's kind of where I'm at. I don't disagree with you that something big will happen next year i just don't know if it'll be esa led you know so we'll see uh, and to the point we talked about with everyone going to keely 
and him announcing kind of June as the kickoff, that's kind of where we can expect to see Xbox, I'd assume, because Phil Spencer kind of likes to attach himself to the gaming community in general. And I wouldn't doubt that he, he either approached Keeley or Keeley approached him and is like, hey, I'm heading up Summer Game Fest again. You kind of want to do it. And Phil Spencer, by that point, probably already knew from the ESA that they weren't doing E3. I was like, sure. And if Keeley can get the Starfield kind of thing that we've talked about wanting to see that we probably will see, that'll be huge for Summer Game Fest. I want to hear what your criticisms are on the way he handled the event last year. It's probably very similar to mine in that there was way too many events going on. It wasn't very structured. There was yep. events that shouldn't have even happened. We saw the same games multiple times at different events. I just wanted to be a little bit more structured. Doesn't necessarily have to all fit into a week, but he has to get with these companies and make them understand that like at some point you're hurting yourself by showing your game too much, right? It's one thing to show up maybe a couple of times at the beginning of Summer Game Fest and at the end to kind of remind people that it still exists, you know, get the pop of the reveal and then the reminder to people. But when you're showing your game four, five, six times, it kind of just becomes white noise at that point. And people are like, I'm tired of seeing this game, regardless of how cool they were initially interested in it. It's just the fatigue wears on people, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that, too. I remember that being just, yeah, long, kind of drawn out and, yeah, maybe a bit disorganized. But I mean, all, all things that do feel like more like growing pains, right? Exactly. Especially yeah. with how things seem to be progressing now for for geoff i i imagine that they'll start just like he'll start to get a lot of that sorted out and you know things will get optimized that sort of stuff um probably was able to get a lot of good feedback uh like you said and and probably a lot of good data too but yeah i i guess that's a, a big part of it we kind of also kind of overlook at least i do like that you said about being able to get advertisers on board um that's that's a huge part of it, right? Even though I, mean, I always get stuck specifically on the game awards and like every award show is just so chock full of commercials and ads that be a bit nauseating for myself, but, um, but like your point still stands So, uh, Yeah. It's interesting times, I suppose, as things are changing. Yeah. And the proof of concept stuff i do think that this year might not be the home run i think maybe next year will eventually be where he has kind of things squared down and the cool thing to think about is you know jeff got uh reggie phil and uh man i'm forgetting his name the uh sean Layden, yeah on stage all together during the game awards one year before sean Layden was uh unceremoniously removed and we still don't got the story on that and obviously reggie retired um It'd be really cool if it, we go back to seeing something major from Nintendo, something major from uh, Microsoft and Xbox, and something major from Sony PlayStation all within the same two-week time frame-ish. That'd be really cool. Because uh, if there's anybody that can bring Sony back to doing a state of play around that time, I think Keeley out of anybody would have the strongest chance. I'm not saying it will happen, but if I was a betting man and I had to put money on somebody, Keeley would be my, the betting favorite in my opinion. Now some sad news, Dom. Uh, the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild sequel, which still doesn't have an official title, which is crazy to me, uh, was delayed to spring 2023, a date we mentioned earlier. So this was actually announced by uh, series producer Eiji Anuma on a video uploaded by Nintendo, where he basically said, you know, we originally said this was going to be coming out in 2022. I have to unfortunately let you guys know, coming out in spring 2023. 
um, obviously wild speculation has gone on the internet in terms of does this mean it's launching next to you know the Nintendo Switch HD or 4K or whatever you want to call it? Um, I like yeah. I I also like the speculation of oh they played Elden Ring and now they're they're making some design changes. That's funny. Yeah, because I could do- totally do that in like less than a year. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's interesting that they. I don't know. People seemed surprised on the internet, which to me, I'm like, sure, it's a bummer, but like, yeah, this is what I expected. I never expected this game to come out this year. Just like, in my opinion, when we inevitably get the God of War Ragnarok pushed early next year, I'm not going to be surprised. You know what I mean? It just seems like it was inevitable at this point, right? I obviously was more hopeful having picked it in our Fantasy Critic League. And I know for God of War, the original date was 2021 that they announced. So when it, of course, got delayed into 2022, you know, feel, I'm, I'm still feeling some amount of confidence that it can come out this year just because how many, how many years can things be delayed? Like, I, I think it gets another, another delay, you know, whether they say, oh, it's coming out in June and then, then it gets delayed a couple of months into the fall. You know, sure, but... And with thought, God of War's development, a lot of the world seems to be the same areas you might have been to in the first game, but with the Ragnarok aesthetic of it being heavy snow and stuff. And I'm not saying it's easier to design, but when you have that base that you're building on and then you add on to that, it's a lot different than, I guess maybe you can make the same case for Breath of the Wild 2, right? Well, so, the, never mind. the core, you, I, think you're, I think you're correct because the bigger difference there is more, most likely a bigger world for Breath of the Wild, but also, uh, let's remember, we had 900 Korok seeds, so that's 900 individual puzzles of varying sizes and then you know 120 i believe different shrines four dungeon i don't a million weapons because they all break yeah i whereas i don't make out of words a much more linear narrative game where it's structured and yeah yeah there's not this unending amount of puzzles each individually designed like each of those korok seeds there was a design built even if it's somewhat simple you know, each of those shrines, there's there's a puzzle built around it. And, and what and we so expect on. traditional dungeons as well that they might add, right? So there's that exactly. as well. So I think I think you're right in that. Maybe, but granted, maybe the level of polish and, demand, and the, the work environments, there's a lot of other factors that can, you know, play into how long these things take. But that's our gut feeling. But for Breath of the Wild, wasn't that also at some point this sequel supposed to come out in 2021? Or did I imagine that? Uh, I'll look that up real quick while you continue on. The other thing that's interesting is that uh, with COVID, we heard that Japanese developers kind of got hurt the most because it was the hardest transition for them out of most game developers, right? That's a good point. I'm thinking back, and I maybe we were first became aware officially of the development of the Breath of the Wild sequel in 2021, but then we didn't get a date until sometime until they said it'll be 2022 and now they're saying 2023 so i think that's still within yeah the realm of how many years are we going to delay it through uh, the amount of acceptability i guess that we can and it's breath of the wild too so it doesn't matter how long it takes everyone's going to be there for it when it happens yeah so looking at it it was announced in february of 2021 uh and then i guess we originally got it teased at the game awards 2020 and then we had uh, Ichigo Numa talk about it in the direct for February in 2021. And then it was at E3 uh, for their Nintendo Direct in June. And then it was at the Game Awards the following year, too, in December. 
uh, which is crazy. Because it, it feels to me, and this might not be correct, like we've seen more of Breath of the Wild than we've seen of God of War Ragnarok, but I could be wrong about that. At least it feels like I've seen more. Because uh, the only I thing guess. I can think of with God of War Ragnarok is the one trailer where they showed off like his new like grapple hook and stuff like that, where with Breath of the Wild, we got the initial trailer where they were underneath in the cave, and then we got the other one where he yeah. was like climbing up into the sky. I don't know. It just seems like we've seen more of it, but like I said, I could be wrong about that. You, no, you're right. It is a tad bit more because we've had now two trailers for Breath of the Wild. The first one was very minimal, but it was there. And yeah, God of War Ragnarok, we've just had the one trailer, which was a good trailer, showed a bit, but that's been all. So. Oh, and this new announcement showed new footage of Breath of the Wild too. We got the Master yeah, Sword that looked bit. damaged. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I think it will... Nintendo seems to love that uh, March, that late February, early March release date for their heavy hitters. So that's where I would assume this release is, is either the end of March or early uh, uh, April. Uh, or maybe, no, 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 late February, early March. Sorry, I got a little confused there. Um, yeah, so we'll think, see what happens. I think the better speculation than, about, than the Switch 2 being part of this or whatever, I think the better speculation is, does this now mean... In 2022, we get some more remasters of other Zelda games. Of course, people want Wind Waker and Twilight Princess, which were at least as long as least if we can get the ports from those Wii U remakes or remasters onto Switch. That I think is a, is a lot of people's speculation, which I think makes a lot of sense and could. could we didn't even get those for the 25th anniversary, though, right? Yeah, I want to say it was the 25th Last anniversary. Year. 35th anniversary or 35th yeah, yeah that makes more sense yeah, yeah yeah for so for last year yeah we got the skyward sword remake um which to me and some other people was more of a bummer than the gamecube games <laughs> but i don't know i think then wind waker twilight princess those are those are going to be easier much easier games to get onto switch because they don't have to deal with the control reworking that they had to do for skyward sword with getting those motion motion controls mapped to the sticks, and even the motion controls mapped, or you know, working on the Switch controllers without the, you know, without the Wii sensor bar and all that. So, I, regardless, whatever the timing is, how long have they been sitting on this or working on them? I don't know, but I feel like, I think we're gonna get more Zelda this year, and I hope it's those two ports come to, come to the Switch. I'd be really excited about that, especially now that we're waiting even longer for Breath of the Wild. The thing I want is I hope that Nintendo let uh, Grezzo Company, who's the developer that did Link's Awakening, the remake, mm-hmm. I hope they let them make a 2D or classic Legend of Zelda game, um, like an original one. I think that'd be really dope. Hell, even have them work maybe on the Oracle games would be cool. Man, the, the, those, so those, the, the ports would be nice, but they would do a lot. They would sell like crazy. But it's just, like, to me, that's not as exciting as, like, a new Zelda game. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, a, a 2D game. Sure, uh, for sure. Yeah, they might have something filling the hole for Nintendo, generally speaking. They're going to be fine. They had Kirby come out. They have, uh, people forget, a new Pokemon generation coming out this fall, mm-hmm. which is going to be huge. It's going to sell like crazy. Probably so they'll be perfectly fine. Some version of Metroid, whether it's the Prime Trilogy or, or Prime 4 or whatever. Like, that kind of got announced and then... Well, no, Prime gone. 4 was announced that, you know, development restarted, like, a year and a half ago, so there's no shot that's coming out anytime. Okay, so that's... The only one that'd be most likely is, like, Bayonetta 
three or four, whatever it is. I don't know. Well, and yeah, and that I think has it's supposed to be twenty twenty two. I think they announced that date, at least the year. Yeah. So we'll see. And Metroid Dread could get an expansion or something. They did that update that makes it so you die in one hit. So for a game that's already known as being super difficult, what a great update. (laughs) I'm not throwing shade. Lastly, let's talk about Spartacus. Um, Not the TV show. Uh, The all-new PlayStation Plus was announced. This is via the PlayStation blog. Here are the specifics of the long-rumored Spartacus, a PS Plus, PS Now revamp slash relaunch. I have all three tiers here. Uh, do you want me to go over all three fully, Dom, and then we talk about them, or you want to go one by one and maybe have, you know, a small talk about each one, and then at the end kind of talk about it as a whole? Which way do you want to do that? I think let's talk about them individually. Okay. So the first one is pretty easy to understand. It's PlayStation Plus Essential. This is going to be ten bucks a month, twenty-five bucks a quarter, sixty bucks a year. Your benefits are the same benefits you have for PlayStation Plus right now if you're a member. And there are no changes for existing PlayStation Plus members in this tier. So this is basically, if you already have PlayStation Plus, it's the same thing you're getting, no changes. I don't know if there's much to add there, Dom. It's like, okay. So that's what we, all right. what we already know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next up, this is the middle tier. Uh, the meat in your sandwich. as uh, PlayStation Plus Extra, which is 15 bucks a month and $100 a year. So pretty big jump in terms of yearly uh price but monthly it's only a five dollar jump there um the benefits you get all the benefits of the essential tier which is basically what playstation plus is right now but then you also get a catalog of up to 400 of the most enjoyable this is their words online 400 of the most enjoyable ps4 and ps5 games including blockbuster hits from our playstation studios catalog and third-party partners games in the extra tier are downloadable for play it seems to me reading this is just this is their PlayStation Now catalog just put into PlayStation Plus, right? Is what I'd assume. Yeah. And so they did specify later on that this includes Spider Man, Miles Morales, God of War, and some of those titles. So like the the big hitter, you know, first party games, granted only the ones that are at least a year old or more, right? And maybe more like two years old at least. So the the part that wasn't clear to me though was the current PlayStation Now situation was those games came to that service, but only for like four months. They rotate so. out. Yeah. They rotated in and out. So I'll be curious. I would hope and for that price, I would hope to God that the those titles come in and stay in. And that's end of story. I would assume that that should be the case. But who knows? Assuming with PlayStation is tough because as we'll get into it the next yeah. year, uh, it seems like a lot of it is bare minimum in terms of uh, the what they're providing. So I don't know if they'd go the extra extent there and be like, no, actually, now we're removing the rotation in and rotation out because I think that's the marketing temple they have when you're not launching your new games into the service. The way you have those marketing pushes throughout the year is, oh, this collection of PS exclusives that are bangers are coming in you know what i mean so it's kind of like a marketing uh window for them so I, I don't know if they'd actually get rid of that but who knows we'll see uh and the last tier the big boy the beef boy playstation plus premium this is 18 dollars a month more expensive than the highest monthly charge for game pass which is an important note to make because we're going to obviously compare the two and for a year it's 120 dollars. so the benefits are 
you get the benefits of the last two tiers, which is PlayStation Plus as you know it, and then the catalog of 400 PS4 and PS5 games that we just talked about. Then this is where it gets a little spicy. It has up to 340 additional games, including PS3 games available via cloud streaming, which is, we'll get to that. Uh, a catalog of beloved classic games available in both streaming and download options from the original PlayStation, PS2, and PSP generations. Next, offers cloud streaming access for original PlayStation, PS2, PSP, and PS4 games offered in the extra and premium tiers in markets where PlayStation Now is currently available. That's something to take note of. It's only where PlayStation Now is currently available. And customers can stream games using PS4 and PS5 consoles and PC. So... That's kind of interesting because people who don't maybe have a PS5 yet can stream through their PS4, possibly these PS5 games that they can't play. Mm. Um, and if your internet is good enough and a better quality than your PS4 can now. Uh, Time-limited game trials uh, will also be available and offered in the tier, so customers can try select games before they buy. Now, was it clarified with these game trials if your progress is like goes to the full purchase of the game? I didn't see anything about that. I think when we talked about this, when it was rumored, we, I mean, I still would assume that's the case, especially because it's, you know, it's a, it is the game. I assume you'd be downloading the game itself and it's more of a system type of limitation that cuts you off at a certain time or part. But again, like you said before, you shouldn't really assume, uh, especially with PlayStation. If, so if I was in charge of making these tiers, I would have put the limited, uh, the time limited game trials either at the first tier or the middle tier. It's very odd to me that it, it'd be the most expensive tier, and the reason I think they did that is because they added, they needed to add what seemed to be additional value to this because when you go back to it, you can't download the P PS3 games, which is kind of ridiculous. Mm -hmm. On top of the fact that like, and by the way, this is uh, all being implemented in June, which we didn't say at the top. It's all cool and well to say there's going to be a catalog of classics, but you couldn't even give out, like, you couldn't say such as and then list some games. Like, it's so weird to be vague about that because yeah. the fan hopes that it's banger after banger, the games people want to play. But the, the reality of the situation is it could possibly not even be that. And obviously, I don't have huge experience with PlayStation Now and stuff, but from what people who are familiar with it say, a lot of the times the games that are available from those generations aren't the ones you want. So it's very weird. It's very meh. It's not exciting. It isn't like terrible, but it is definitely not exciting at all. And something I talked to you about is this seems more like a way for PlayStation to get more money from the people who already subscribe to PlayStation and P PlayStation plus and PlayStation now, as opposed to game passes motivation, which is also to earn money. Obviously it's a company but to get people into the Xbox ecosystem. This to me doesn't seem like something you push up because you're trying to get non PlayStation plus or PlayStation now subscribers to get in. At least that's not your main priority. It's to get more money from the customers you already have paying you. Um, what are your thoughts on all of this? And is it as mad to you as it is to me and mostly everybody else on the internet? Yeah, I think, I think part of the reason for that is because it was leaked in extreme detail and that turned out to be accurate. So that's going to take away any of the, you know, new excitement of it. But even still, it is. Couldn't you feel... argue that the leak of it made it man, not bad? Because if this came out of nowhere, I don't know if people would have been happy about it. See, 
me, the leak of it seems to be people got used to the idea of it. So when it was actually revealed, they're like, oh, okay. As opposed to if we didn't know and it came out and you're reading PS3 games are still cloud streaming only and all this stuff, you'd be like, really? You know? I don't know. In some ways, I feel like the leak might have helped this in a weird way. I mean, whenever... Sony sometimes is the exception, but generally you, know, you want to control the message. So I don't know. I just feel like it, take, it takes away the excitement of the news of it, even if the results of it are still like, yeah, okay, when you break it down and then really think about it, I'm really not that interested, but it's still, uh, I don't know. It, I, I feel like it just dampened the, the newsworthiness of it. But um, but it was a blog thing, post, like, right? Like they weren't even that excited about it. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. So, like, because, yeah, so with them, it's sometimes they make it hard to get excited about their stuff anyway. So, yeah, how much better is that than hearing it first from Jason Schreier in a tweet, whatever, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, it's, yeah, it's, I think even still, it, no matter, even if it was like the fanciest, coolest video that explained it, it's still, when you like sit down and break it down, it's, it's meh. First of all, because what's new here that we, not price wise or, subscription wise but what's like a new feature that we are getting that didn't exist before the the time trials one thing right which i'd even take it a step further than you and i'd say like that should just everyone should just be able to get that for free if you have a console i can't i can't think of a reason not to all that's going to do is just get people to buy more of those games that otherwise wouldn't but like locking trials behind your highest subscription tier to me is asinine like that i don't know i just that just reeks of greed. And I, I'm like talking for comparison. EA access was $5 a month. Right. And you could get their game trials and it was 10 hours. You got to play Madden for 10 hours before it came out. All of these games and your game progress would transfer over. That was for five bucks. EA did that, you know? So I'm and, with and you like, there that it, it's weird for yeah. it to be the most. It should. Yeah, definitely. At least it, it, if you, you already bought the console, you're already in, give people <laughs> the damn trials you'll sell more games because of it whatever so that's a new feature but it it's entirely dampened by the fact that it's behind the highest tier of subscription so like whatever and i guess we can i don't think there were ps1 2 and psp games on ps now before part of me thinks there were some at least but maybe there weren't any um and like you said we don't even know is this does this mean there's going to be more than there were on ps now or is it the same that's not entirely clear, so that doesn't really sound like we already had PS Now. So all you're doing is grouping the still expensive because just like with Game Pass early on, you can get you could get PS Plus subscriptions for half the price, basically year round if you bought them third party. So like I don't know, that's not really new and exciting there. Um, Again, unless they were to come out and give us a list of all the new PS3 games you couldn't get to before, and the PS2 games you couldn't even access before, but they didn't. And so all we know is current people's existing experiences, which are, yeah, it's not the ones we really want, right? Like you said. So uh, that real doesn't quick, really feel exciting. Uh, <laughs> so on the official marketing for PlayStation Now, it says hundreds of PS4, PS3, and PS2 games. So I guess the new additions would be PSP, PS1, and PS5 then? technically okay so there should be a lot more added to this catalog um and probably we'll get some lists you know in june or close to release or whatever or launch but so that should be better right but i just want to 
we didn't hear enough about that. I, it's it's just like when PS5 was first coming out and they were really weird about which games were going to be backwards compatible, right? We were like, they they had like weird verbiage about, oh, the top 100 or our best games and a bunch of them or things like that where it's like, which ones? What are we? What are you trying to sell us? You're telling me how much I need to pay you for this thing, but you're not telling me all the details about what you want or what it's going to provide me. I, I get. As you can tell, I get agitated thinking about it because it's, it's just not to me. It's not being sold very well. Um, even if like this could be, I could be wrong, and it could be a really great catalog, and they're adding a whole lot of stuff, right? Even if some of it is streaming, you know, streaming is getting better um, for a lot of people, sure. But it just feels like they're not doing a great job. They've not, so far they've not done a great job selling it. Granted, it doesn't come out for a few more months, so there's time to you know, do better. Um, I, I have of a course, question. It's not Sorry, like, finish with that. it's also not, you know, like a brand new game where the success of it is determined in the first couple of months since launch, right? This could, yeah. even after launch, get better. And I'm sure it will evolve and, and things like that. Um, so it's not, you know, plenty of time to improve it. But right out the gate, I'm kind of, at best, I'm like, meh. You know, this, this, there's not really anything new or exciting that, to me is valuable or worth paying more for PS Plus, which I already don't, I, I'm i already like, eh, I might let it lapse. I don't know. I don't get it. Sometimes there's good games that come out with it every month, but as someone who doesn't play multiplayer too much, kind of, eh, and nothing here really got me too excited. So it's all kind of a, eh, hopefully it gets better eventually. <laughs> Well, the thing I don't get is like, okay, you're asking me to pay three more dollars than Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, and you didn't fix the one complaint everyone had of only being able to stream PS3 games. Yeah. You're also not telling me the games, the additional games I'm getting. Obviously, the list can come out before it launches, but like, you're supposed to get me excited for this, like, sell me on it. You're not telling me what games are available. Like, I don't understand the. I don't understand why there's three tiers, first off. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, a lot of this stuff, you could add the additional 340 games to the $15 tier, put the time-limited stuff if you want in the bottom tier, and then that's it, and you don't have to have the third tier. The third tier just seems like they're squeezing money an extra three bucks to try to squeeze an extra three bucks, in my opinion. Secondly, the biggest problem I have with PlayStation and them still having the PS3 games being cloud streaming, when you play a, a a cloud streaming game on PlayStation, does the save you create is it local or is it also a cloud save? I mean, I would assume it's a cloud save. And PlayStation cloud saving is awful, especially in comparison to Xbox, where everything is automatic. I go and sign on and get on a different console. My cloud saves are there and available. Whereas with PlayStation, you have to like jump through hoops, right? You have to like save it and then download it somewhere and then upload it or something. I think I think a lot of that is more when you're transitioning between a PS4 and 5 that some I don't know if that's true cuz I think I've heard people still complain about even having PS5 to PS5 cloud saves and how it's a hassle. Greg Miller of okay. kind of funny, he was a big PlayStation guy, has talked about how he was so surprised at how easy it was on Xbox where your cloud save was just there. Like you can log into another console and have access to it as long as you're signed in, you know? Mm-hmm. Which seems like that's not the case on a PlayStation. Yeah, I'm not super familiar those, with it, so I could be talking out of my ass. That's one of those use cases I don't, I, I don't have experience with. I'm just, I have one console, so it's you know. It's, but I think 
what you were driving. But it is important though for this because if you get to play, if you get to stream the games on your PC, right? Yes. If I if I stream a game on my PC, create a cloud save, and then I want to go play it on my PS5, how annoying is that, right? How annoying is that? That's a big thing with Xbox Game Pass too, where you get the Xbox Game Pass for PC and the console, and because the cloud saves are so easy, it makes all the even on your mobile phone, like it makes it all so easy. Uh, so that's the other thing of like, not only are you not fixing the streaming to let me download games, you still haven't fixed a lot of the issues. Sorry, go ahead. And maybe it's maybe it is better, but like yeah, based on the track record, don't really have great hope of that. Whereas I remember I originally, I think I've told you this story before when I originally played Halo Five, you know, back in goodness, 2015, 16, I don't even remember what year, whatever it was, you know, locally on an, on an Xbox One. And then years later, just doing the beta for xCloud, booted it up, and I went right into my save from when I had first played Halo 5, you know, years before, when xCloud didn't even exist then. So that was a local save that apparently I'd uploaded, and I was none the wiser at the time, and then xCloud just grabbed it. And so, and that was early on with xCloud and all that all that work, so it's only going to get you know, better, so like... And some of this stuff, when you get into those details and, like, the weird use cases, like I said, like, you know, maybe a lot of people don't have, se- you know, several consoles are constantly switching between. And, like, when it's, when it's like, some small stuff, like, what's harder to put the memory card into the PS5 than the Xbox, like, I think that stuff isn't the, doesn't matter too much when you're, like, choosing between the consoles necessarily. That's, those aren't the, you know, that's, like, details. They could add up, but... It does matter when you're trying to pinch out a couple more bucks for a subscription service every month from people who already have already have your console, right? So that's where I think they're gonna feel that if their clouds, if their saves, you know, don't work well, if the cloud streaming isn't that great, and all this kind of stuff, like it's gonna be hard to sell your upper subscription tiers to your dedicated, you know, user base you already have if if that shit isn't that great, basically. <laughs> And we know it's not going to get better overnight. Like stuff that Xbox yeah. has done, like backwards compatibility, wasn't great the day it launched, but it launched. And I think that's the biggest thing. Is like, I don't expect PlayStation to make these changes and then be firing on all cylinders day one, but at least mm-hmm. make an effort to like start that process to some extent. You know what I mean? Like make that public to some extent because I think it's easier for people to digest this type of stuff if they see that you're working towards a better tomorrow. Than when it feels like you're just stagnant and trying to take as much money as you can with l- as little effort yeah. as possible. I think that's the, the thing there. Um, but yeah, overall, pretty was, meh. That was a big part of Xbox's message when they first started. Um, when they first announced, you know, we're getting backwards compatible games on Xbox One, right? And here's a bunch we've already got ready to go, and we're working on more. And it's it's a process. It takes some investment time, and we're working on more. And then it was every couple of months, lo and behold, they'd announce some more, right? So, it, like you said, they they did a great job of even when it was earlier on of showing or telling and showing like it's going to keep getting better, you guys. This is this is our vision. Um, you know, but that just inspires more confidence than we've gotten from PlayStation, I think. Yeah, let's really quickly talk about what we've been playing uh elden ring check-in i'm around level 60 to 65 i don't remember exactly somewhere between 60 and 65 uh, about 40 ish hours in i'm currently uh 
exploring the Atlas Plateau, so up in the north Ooh. of the map. You got um, it. Okay. So that's the thing is, I don't know if that's the next area I'm supposed to be in or not. Because, like, some of the enemies are pretty tough and some of them are not. It's not clear if it wants me to go east of Limgrave and go to, like, the Red Sand area. So that's, like, one thing. It's not a problem with Elden Ring. It's just trying to figure out where I'm, quote-unquote, supposed to be, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't really want to talk much else about that there. Uh, outside of Elden Ring, do you have anything else you want to talk about? Because I want to get your update on Elden Ring, and then I want to talk about another game I've been playing. So I don't know if you have another game you also want to talk about. Um, no, I mean, yeah, it's just been more Elden Ring. I did, I did find it another invisible, you know, footprint thing going in a circle in a different area, and I stopped. Like, same thing. I couldn't interact with it. I was like, "What the heck is this thing?" I can't wait to find out what that is. Um, and then I did have one other thing I wanted to inform you of. Okay. Um, have you, since beating either Renala or Radon, gone back to the round table? And talk to the lady next to the big fingers. Um, I I remember talking to her, and it unlocked like an outfit thing where I can buy outfits of of bosses. Yeah, but uh, is that what you're talking about? No. So basically, just go back and talk to her, and okay, you'll get something super valuable that I could have gotten a long, a lot, a long time. It's not the great rune, right? Is what you're talking about? It's not the great rune? No, yeah, that you get, that stuff you can use earlier, which I've not used okay. fully enough yet, because I'm like, I'm, I'm doing that thing because you have to use a rune arc to activate those, right? And you only find so many of those throughout the world. So, of course, I'm hoarding them. By the end of the game, I'm going to have like a thousand, and I never use them when I could have made it. What's easier. the name of the item? Because I don't want to act as if I don't have it, because I might not be remembering. Um, I, I'll just tell you, it's, it's a third... Uh, inventory or third slot from a uh, talisman. Yeah, I think she gave it to me because I have that. three talismans okay. equipped. Okay, I just they didn't know. Yeah, yeah I must have not paid yeah. attention really. Okay. Um. Oh, you didn't tell a uh, relative level and playtime. Now I'm I'm at level eighty. I know that I think I know I'm above forty hours. I must be in the fifty range. I can't remember what it was. Okay. But yeah, getting up there. Uh. Uh, there was one more. Th Man, Blade is the coolest character. Yeah, um, yeah. so I met him again at uh, the names are so close that it's always confusing. Rena, R Ronnie, R Rainy. Yeah, I hate how they did those names. There's uh, there's Ronnie. Rena, when you Ronnie. go to her tower, uh, near uh, Carrion Manor, I think is what it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's there. Is that where you were talking about where you first met him? Yeah. Okay. So. I'd be interested to see his dialogue because for me, he's like, nice to see you again. So for you, he was like, nice to meet you for the first time, essentially. Um, yeah. The thing I found out is that, and we're past this point in his quest line, so it doesn't matter to either of us. You know, I told you you meet him at those ruins next to that big bear. And he asks you about this guy named like Dira Steel or whatever. Apparently, mm -hmm. that dude is located near the Evergoal in Southeast Limgrave. The, the, you know, the wolf blood loss guy that you fight at that Evergoal? Apparently yeah. he's located near that area, but I guess if you either progress the quest line for Ronnie or you kill the Evergold guy before you meet Blade, it kind of like mixes all of that up. Uh, I lit all the bonfires too. I don't want to spoil it for people listening, but I lit all the bonfires in Steel for a River. Mm -hmm. That was a really cool fight. 
I remember seeing that in the trailer too. One of the more beautiful bosses in terms of from software design. Really cool. Yeah, that one stuck out to me. The fight itself was wasn't too it was you know, it was fun, it was fine, but like it was a little more like the atmosphere and the music during it. I don't know, for some reason yeah. I was like, This is really cool. This feels nice. <laughs> well, in the juxtaposition of such an ethereal looking boss in such a horrid, disgusting arena was really cool to me. Um I think it lends to the vibrancy of that boss's design because you're in like a dark cave too, which is cool. Uh that's it for Elden Ring. Uh the last thing I want to talk about is have you heard of Koromon? No. What would the name lead you to suggest this game is relative to in terms of other video game properties? Well, Pokemon. Yeah. So, this is an unabashedly clone copy of Pokemon that released on Switch, PC. I have it on Steam. Um, And it basically is a GBA classic-style Pokemon game with all of their original own monsters uh, and a lot of crossover with Pokemon in terms of type, battle systems, all of that stuff. But it adds a lot of the quality of life stuff Pokemon fans have wanted that Game Freak has kind of not really added to the game. Um, like, for instance, I don't know if you remember this, Dom, but say you have six Pokemon in your party already, right? And you catch a Pokemon. What happens to that Pokemon? It gets sent back to the box, right? Mm-hmm. And then you'd have to go back to the Pokemon Center, get on the computer, and pull it out. One of the neat little quality of life with this is whenever you catch a Pokemon, it asks you, do you want to send it to the box or do you want to swap it out? And you can pick one of the people in your party to swap out. It'll send that Pokemon to the box or Koromon, and then it'll put the new one you just caught in your party. Okay. Another yeah, neat thing, nice say the, the Koromon you want to send back to the box has an item on it. If you catch a Pokemon and then you want to do the swap, I keep saying Pokemon, Koromon, you might be worried like, oh, but I don't want to send him back because he has an item on him and I don't want to have to go back to the box, take the item from him and then put it on another uh, monster, right? It automatically removes that item from them when it puts him in the box and puts it back in your inventory. Okay. So it's That's a lot of those little small quality of life stuff that like you would just assume would be part of good game design uh, <laughs> or like modern game design that they've implemented. So... Sure, you could say, like, oh, they just took what people loved about Pokemon and copied it and gave it its own aesthetic. But there's a lot of stuff that you would have assumed Pokemon would have evolved, eh, uh, you see what I did there, into doing with their games that they just kind of didn't. Um, I don't know. It's it's a really fun time. I'm, like, three hours in. The, the monster designs are really neat. I'm really interested to see what they turn into. The way the world is set up feels a lot more modern and less barren than the og pokemon games uh because like you go into a city and it's like a town it's like three houses and four people it's like how does this even sustain itself doesn't make any sense um yeah the whole everything going on is really cool there's a fast travel system in the game so whenever you get to a new town the first one i got to there was a quest involved where i had to help this scientist find the missing parts that were supposed to ship to his house to get his teleporter up and running so once you do that, then you have access to the main hub city where you start, and you can fast travel between that and the first city you get to, or the first little town, which is also another quality of life, because in Pokemon games, especially the classic ones, you couldn't travel fast travel like that until you got fly, access to fly, right? And that was usually 10 to 15 hours into the game when you get that HM. So I'm loving a lot of the quality of life stuff. I'm currently at the point now where I don't know if I just want to stave off, because I know I love the game and wait for it to eventually get an Xbox port because they said there is one on the way for PlayStation as well. 
uh, to get the achievements and just have it there, right? Because I don't have it on Switch, and I'm not really worried about the mobile stuff. Other dope thing, guess how much this game is? $20. 15 bucks, which oh, is crazy. I thought I was so, guessing low. And it's, it's pretty robust for what you'd expect from this type of game, from what I've seen. And I was going in ready to spend 40 bucks, Don, because I'm just yeah. like, it's a Pokemon game. I'm going to spend 40 bucks, whatever. I'm going to get it. Go on to Steam. I think it was like $14.99 or $15.99. I'm like, oh, all right, cool. Insta buy. I'm just like, yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, so having a blast with it. Uh, like I said, the, the I think that's the hardest thing with Pokemon-like clones is they never nail the monster designs that Pokemon has gotten so good at where they just make sense and they're interesting and they're cool. One of the the Coromon in this game, Dom, is a ground type. I'm going to do it in Pokemon terms because it's way easier to communicate. It's a ground type Pokemon, right? And do you remember Diglett? How it was like a worm that like popped up out of the ground, but you couldn't really see the bottom of its body. Yeah. So there's a Pokemon like that. Trio. Yeah, trio. there's a, a Coromon like that, but instead of a worm, it's a wolf, right? So it's a, a canine that digs up out of the ground. And I spoiled myself. I didn't do this for any of the other ones, but I was so curious to see what this thing turned into. And its final evolution looks like a Bloodborne boss. It's like a giant worm-like wolf coming out of the ground with giant claws on its hands. It looks super cool. And that's one of those things where you wouldn't see that type of design from a Pokemon game because it does venture a little bit too mature, violent, dark, right? Mm -hmm. um, for better or worse with Pokemon. But... Yeah, it's, it's, I'm having a blast with it. I'll report on it next week. But I started it up. I was like, I'm going to get my starter Coromon, see what that's like, see what my choices are. And then I'll come back to it later. And uh, I ended up spending like three and a half hours. And the last thing I want to say is the three starter Coromon, Dom, were really hard to choose from. It was uh, an ice-type polar bear cub, which looked super adorable. And you're like, what is that? I, I kind of want to see what the final polar bear evolution is that right the middle one was a, a a water type like shark which there too i'm like oh final evolution of a shark type pokemon we really only have like one of those in pokemon so that that guy looked really cool but the one i went with dom and it's actually the type i don't normally choose for pokemon games was the fire type and it's an adorable little turtle and i want to see what I, i'm hoping it's a turtle with like a volcano on its back like as its shell I think that'd be super dope. I don't know what it is, but I'm excited to see what it turns into. Um, yeah, I'm having a blast with it. It's a Pokemon clone, but it does a lot of the things you'd hope Pokemon games would do right. And I think that's why I got its hooks in me because it's not just copying for nostalgia's sake. It's like, we're going to give you what you miss playing, but also fix the things that you hate about it, you know? So. Which is going to be a, a good selling point of, uh, yeah, this is a Pokemon game. But we have a lot of quality life improvements. Like th those can be pointed out, I feel like easily. And people like looking for that, that gameplay loop. You know, have something. I I I just put some footage on of it, and it, yeah, it's it's very similar. Even down to the animation when you start a battle is like that slated thing as the screen covers. <laughs> um, like in Pokemon. But yeah, this is interesting. It looks like uh. Yeah, like like I was saying, something that all those quality life features I think can go a long way with getting sales for this thing. Well, and speaking of the accessibility options at the beginning of the game before you even start it, there you can turn on auto sprint. There's difficulty sliders for it. Um, are you familiar mm -hmm. with Nuzlocke in Pokemon? Have you ever heard that term? No. So the simplest form of a Nuzlocke is basically it's 
adding a difficulty to Pokemon games that isn't normally there. And the baseline of it is that if your Pokemon faints in battle, quote unquote, dies, it's gone forever. It's like it actually died and you have to put it in the box and you can't use it anymore. Uh, oh and there's God. also additional rules where like you can only catch the first Pokemon you see in each new route, yada, yada, yada. They have a built-in Nuzlocke mode in this where it will, if your Coromon faints, it's just, it disappears. It's gone. So once again, it kind of adds in a strong part of the community of Pokemon into the actual game design of the game. There's also a ton of other accessibility options. Uh, the controller was really easy. I just synced my Bluetooth Xbox controller to my PC. And I know that seems like, oh, yeah, of course it's going to work. But that's not always the case with PC games. And I just started it up, and the controls felt natural. It felt good, and I was playing with the controller, which was nice. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I think, too, this could go, if it continues to be as quality as it is, I think when and if this comes to PlayStation and Xbox, not everybody's going to own or want to buy a Switch, but a lot of people love Pokemon. And if you can nail a Pokemon game on a platform where it isn't available, you can win fans pretty heavily. So I think that uh, that can go a long way. We'll see. Having a blast with it, though. That's pretty cool. I've been um. I've been surprised with as much time as I've put into Elden Ring, that. It, so for example, I w I was recently feeling like I'm not quite sure where to go next. I feel like I've, you can always find little things throughout the world that you missed, right? Cause, uh, but as far as like you know larger paths and like areas, I've kind of, I'm not really sure what to do. Um, wasn't really getting bored, but. Yeah, and then, you know, just recently, I finally figured out how to get to the Atlas Plateau, and that was, you know, when you go to hit the map, and all of a sudden the map is, you know, zoomed out one more layer, and you realize how much bigger it is, and I'm just, wow, we're, I don't know, feels like we're just getting started, and is I I just wanted to go check everything out there, and now it's just a whole new area, and I just, you know, up to 50 hours, now level 80, which is absurd. Um, I don't know, I just am not getting worn out on it yet. You Like, a lot of games at that point, kind of, even if they're great games, that's you're going to start to burn out at least a little bit, right? I've only, as I've progressed, I've only wanted to go more. Um, so I've tried to think, like, ah, I should take a break, you know, play something else, get, you know, mix it up, because this is going to be a lot longer, but I don't know, I've just not even, like, slightly wanted to. I'm not even thinking about Horizon Forbidden West somehow. That stayed out of my mind, but... Yeah, uh, just there's just so much Elden Ring. I, it's hard for me to envision playing anything else at this point. It's kind of weird. Yeah, and I think part of the reason why I'm playing like Coromon and I forgot the other game I was playing last week, Tunic. I'm like dabbling with oh, them yeah. is because I I I'm kind of preemptively trying to avoid burnout with Elden Ring. Yeah. Not that I am getting burned out, but I just kind of want to protect myself from that. I still um, could get it, you know, like that could happen soon. Yeah. Yeah, which is totally natural. It isn't Elden Ring's fault necessarily. It's just, you know, us as humans. Uh the one I think I want to say, and I'll I've said this before, one of the most haunting thing in video games uh is walking in uh, by you know, in Elden Ring and you hear the faint singing of a of, of a woman and uh yeah. those female uh bats are really mm -hmm. unnerving. They're more, much more difficult than you'd assume, too. Like, the, I think the difficulty jump from the base bats, which I assume are all males, and the, the female bats is pretty substantial. Like, they're not unkillable by any means, and they're not, like, super hard. But there is a noticeable difficulty change between 
those baseline ones who really just do the echo attack and like hit you with their feet and those ones which have like a command grab attack that can like dismantle your health so i i had like such a similar experience i mean there were i fought a lot of bats early on but recently went under like a bridge or a big rock can't remember what and then yeah came across yeah you know the the stronger female one just came up behind it and it was just kind of hunched over just yes yeah, singing and like I don't know. It's, I'm not super big into vampire uh, movies or games or things like that. Um, but that's what it had strong vibes of like, ooh, this is like a, just a vampire in the dark. Because um, it was daytime otherwise. So I could like kind of found it. Um, but yeah, that singing. You're, you're right. It's like it. so angelic too, which is the most off-putting yeah. part of it. Yeah. Uh, and then you think about all those stories of how sailors got, you know, drifted away at sea and apparently the mermaids were kind of sirening them off and killing them it's like oh i totally see how that could be possible if you're just some guy who hasn't maybe slept in a couple of days and you hear this very beautiful female voice singing you're like what is that let me go see what that is and then yeah it's it's so unnerving and like i'm not the type of person who easily gets scared or anything it's not that they're scary it's just it puts you in a certain place when you're playing you're like Oh, I'm killing stuff. This world is terrible. You know, void stuff. And then you're like, ugh. And it's funny because the first time you don't know what it is, you you discover and you're like, oh, that's very creepy. And then after that, you're like, okay, I know what that is. Where is it? <laughs> and like, oh yeah, it's, I, I love it. And to your point with Elden Ring, it's like, yeah, especially with the Atlas Plateau. The reason I discovered it is because I went down in this area with all those like giant poison egg sack things. I'm like, oh, there's a ladder here. Let me climb up it. Oh, there's a cave. Let me go through that cave. Oh, there's this boss. Let me kill this boss. Oh, come out the other side. There's like a graveyard of these giant wagons that carry items and stuff. Why is there a graveyard of all these things? Oh, there's a dragon. I can't kill that dragon. Oh, you know, it's like it's like going through and discovering one thing after another and like, please let there just be a side of grace and then the atlas plateau does function like a second fallout moment because you come up over that ridge and you're like this is just like flatlands obviously that's why it's called atlas plateau and it's a completely different aesthetic feeling it's like very much a lot of warm colors yes what's going on here like fall looking but yeah and then it the game does the and they've done this before but and the other from games but this one especially like so right before you take the lift the atlas plateau there's one of those phantoms that you can talk to and he says something like He's staring off into the into nothing, like into a wall or something, and he, and he's just going on about like, oh, there's a tunnel that leads to the other side. I gotta yeah. find it. I know it's there. And I'm like, I looked all around. I'm like, what is he talking about? Like, I need to know what the hell he was talking about. I need to find it. I don't, I don't know how. I'm sure. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You're talking about a different lift than I am. You're talking about the great lift or whatever in the yes. center, right? Yep. That's not the lift I'm talking about. <laughs> So you took a different lift to get to the Atlas Plateau? Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> so did you have to have the two medallions to unlock the lift? I don't have the second half of the medallion yet. So the oh, area right. I went through, you go up the backside of the mountain to the left of that area. You, like you climb up like scaffolding and stuff to the left side. You end up getting to the top. You fight a boss, which I don't want to spoil for you if you haven't fought him yet. A creature boss. And then once you defeat that person... There's a lift behind him. You take that up and you go into this area that's like a bunch of like, you know, the black giant wagons that they carry around in Limgrave? Yeah. They have like yep. items in them. 
it's just a graveyard of all of those. Like, just a bunch of abandoned ones. When you first explained that, I wondered if you found that tunnel that that guy was talking about. I think I did. Yeah. Because I talked to the guy, and I was like, oh, I can't go up this lift. What do I do now? Uh, Because that's just, like, the gates to the city, or, or I guess... Not necessarily the city, because Lindell's like way farther east than that. But yeah, I, I once you said the guy talking, I was like, oh, he's talking about a different area than I was. Um, so yeah, to the the left of that lift, there's like a a river on the bottom, and if you just explore that river all the way to the back, you'll find a ladder that takes you up, and you'll be able to go through it. It's really cool. Okay. It's an, a a really interesting area. I suggest. I might even take a screen cap and send it to you on Discord afterwards. You know exactly what I'm talking about in terms yeah. of, like, the entrance to it. Um, that's our Elden Ring talk for this week. Uh, can't wait to talk about Coral Mon 2 if I end up playing more of it or if I hop back into Tunic. Um, that's pretty much it for this week's episode. Thank you guys for listening. If you can, please head on over to Spotify or any other podcast service you listen to. Search Controlled Interest will pop right up. Uh, follow us. It definitely helps. Leave a review on Spotify or any of those other services. That also helps. On YouTube, search Controlled Interest will pop right up. Subscribe. If you never miss the podcast, like the videos if you like them. Dislike them if you dislike them as well. It all helps us grow. Hopefully you like them. Hopefully you're hitting the like button. Comment. Let us know if you're playing Elden Ring. What is the neatest thing you've run into so far? And if not, are you looking forward to E3 in 2023? Other than that, on Twitter, you can find us collectively at CTRLINT. It's Controlled Interest abbreviated. You can follow Dom individually at Kenobi. The O and OB is the number zero, not the letter O. And I am at Jared Weich, J-E-R-R-A-D-W-Y-C-H-E. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for this week. We'll catch you guys then.